This is Voices of Public Health, the JSI podcast. All right, so I'm here with Hembret Alamu Tilahan, who is the director of the Strengthening Urban Health in Ethiopia project. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. You are from Ethiopia, and right. you grew up in Ethiopia. Right. What drew you to public health and development? Okay, uh, thank you very much. Um, I think basically uh, when I grew up, I grew up in, in an area where it is very much affected by malaria. Uh, I saw so many people dying of uh, malaria and even uh, myself and my family, we used to be sick of malaria uh, very frequently, especially during the peak seasons. And, uh, you know, having seen that kind of uh, suffering, knowing malaria can be prevented with uh, strong public measures, then I was interested to be involved on public health. So I can, I can do something to prevent that kind of uh, condition, uh, which, which can be done with commitment and with the right interventions. So how did you learn that malaria could be addressed through public health? How did you gain that understanding as, I suppose, a, a child or yeah. a teenager? Or? Yeah, you know, like when they educate the community, the health service providers, they tell us if you keep your uh, area very clean, uh, if you don't leave uh, water and some uh, you know, areas that are uh, slummy, uh, not clean that will help to for for the malaria the mosquito to breed and so on then they say it you can prevent malaria and they are also telling us about spraying and other interventions that can be easily implemented to prevent malaria but for different reasons uh, that was not really happening very well and uh, I saw people uh, getting sick of malaria and uh, myself you know uh, I have seen how much uh, malaria is a very uh, serious illness. Uh, and even when I was at high school, uh, we have lost friends of uh, because of malaria. And there were uh, our friends who died of malaria. And that is all, you know, something that motivated me. If we can do more to prevent malaria, then we can create a productive and healthy citizen. That's great. So how then... What was your career path to getting where you are now? What was your first move after yeah. high school, secondary school? Yeah, so uh, my first move after high school was, uh, as I told you, because of my interest, and I got a bachelor's degree in public health. Uh, so in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia. Uh, and uh, I was assigned uh, back to the area that I grew up to work uh, at the health center level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, managing a district health center uh, and also uh, like the training that I took was uh, for me to do three main uh, things. One is leadership, leading the primary health care team. Second is uh, prevention, as I told you, uh, preventing epidemics, uh, communicable diseases, and non-communicable diseases, which are not that much serious in that area. But the prevention part was also there. And the third part part is also to uh, treat sick children also, and also sick adults, uh, unless it is a very you know sophisticated kind of uh, problem, we usually manage a majority of the illness at the health center level. So I was assigned there. So I can say, like, uh, I, I did a lot of things. Still, when I went back, malaria, malaria was still a problem. And uh, with the team that uh, I was leading, the, we have done lots of things to prevent malaria. And you were where you grew up? Or was it Bahadar? Is that where you were? Yeah, I grew up in Bahadar. Uh, the, the, the place that uh, I was assigned was about... 60 kilometers outside of uh, Bahadar uh, and it's very close to Bahadar so I used to come usually over the weekends uh, whenever uh, I want but 
I worked in that area and that was a very uh, successful stay, at least for me. I have done uh, lots of things uh, for the communities, particularly in preventing this kind of problems. Yeah. Oh, great. And how long were you there? So this was after you got your university yeah. degree in public health? Yeah. Did you get further education? Yeah. So that was for two years. Okay. So after two years, I felt like I needed more uh, education and I wanted to um, upgrade my knowledge and also be involved on research and also uh, advanced kind of uh, engagement. So I joined the Addis Ababa University to do a master's in public health. It was a two years full-time program uh, with a one-year coursework and a one-year uh, thesis work. Uh, so I stayed for two years uh, there, and I got my master's in public health. And then, what was your what were you doing after you got your master's? After I got my master's, I was struggling to reach into a kind of a, con a decision about what I should do. One, still, I was interested to go back to my engagement in the public health sector uh, and work on public health. But on the other side, I was also interested to be involved in the academia, in the teaching part and so on. Because as soon as I finished my master's, I got two offers from local universities uh, in Ethiopia to uh, serve as a lecturer. Uh, and uh, like while I was um, in the middle of that uh, decision-making process, I also got an offer from JSI, the ISHI project, the Essential Services for Health project, to work as a child survival specialist uh, in one of the regions. Uh, so I, I didn't know JSI before, but I liked uh, the work that JSI was doing that time. And uh, serving as a child survival specialist uh, meant lots of things for me. So I decided to join Ishi, um, and that was in two thousand and four. Two thousand four. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Two thousand four. I I joined Ishi mm -hmm. as a child survival specialist. Yeah. So that was thirteen years ago. Mm -hmm. What were the issues facing the Ethiopian population thirteen years ago that you saw? Most communicable these were uh, still highly prevalent. I already talked about malaria, which was still a problem among children. There were problems related to vaccine-preventable diseases, like measles uh, was also a problem. Uh, malnutrition, especially undernutrition, uh, was a problem among children particularly. Uh, that is partly due to uh, food problem, food scarce, uh, shortage. And the other was also, there were significant proportion of uh, children who were malnourished because of uh, lack of knowledge uh, on how to feed uh, children. So that also contributed a lot to the malnutrition problem. And whenever a child is malnourished, uh, in addition to the physical, intellectual development related problems, they will be also vulnerable to uh, other kind of illness and they will not recover uh, well and uh, um, and timely uh, that will uh, still contribute a lot as an underlying problem. So most of the communicable diseases including tuberculosis, um, HIV uh, like 13 years ago it was, it was really a serious problem. Uh, I have seen so many uh, families being uh, you know displaced and losing their parents and orphaned children because treatment was not there at that time so those I think communicable diseases were highly prevalent at that time and how have you seen the health system change in those 13 years I mean that sounds like an awful lot of issues yeah <laughs> yeah I've seen uh, the health sector passing through a very huge transformation for me. 
as I told you, during that time, uh, people in Ethiopia needed a very basic care to uh, really strengthen the prevention aspect and also to for them to get basic curative care for you know, basic problems. So people usually travel long distance to get um, basic primary care services. But I think 13 years ago, the Ethiopian Health Extension Program was launched, which was a big, uh, a big benchmark. Uh, so the Health Extension Program primarily focused on uh, making primary care very much accessible to the rural community. So government came up with this uh, approach and partners, I, I was working for JSI the, as a child survival specialist, so we collaborated together. So we designed the manuals, uh, guidelines and so on. Uh, so the health extension program was launched. That was not there before 13 years. So that's a basic, uh, a major kind of undertaking tribute a lot as an underlying problem. So most of the communicable diseases, including tuberculosis, um, HIV, uh, like 13 years ago, was was really a serious problem. Uh, I have seen so many uh, families being, uh, you know, displaced and losing their parents, and orphan children, because treatment was not there at that time. So. Those, I think, communicable diseases were highly prevalent at that time. And how have you seen the health system change in those 13 years? I mean, that sounds like an awful lot of issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen uh, the health sector passing through a very huge transformation for me. As I told you, during that time, uh, people in Ethiopia needed a very basic care to uh, really strengthen the prevention aspect and also to for them to get basic curative care for you know, basic problems. So people usually travel long distance to get um, basic primary care services. But I think 13 years ago, the Ethiopian Health Extension Program was launched, which was a big, uh, a big benchmark so the health extension program primarily focused on uh, making primary care very much accessible to the rural community. So government came up with this uh, approach and partners, I, I was working for JSI the, as a child survival specialist, so we collaborated together. So we designed the manuals, uh, guidelines and so on. Uh, so the health extension program was launched. That was not there before 13 years. So that's a basic, uh, a major kind of undertaking. So the health extension program was launched, and how did the health extension program work with the community health mm. volunteers, right? Yeah. That was a program that sort yeah. of got yeah. brought in You're through right. ESHI. Yeah, so, you know, when the health extension uh, workers were assigned at a cabaret or at a village level. Uh, they are very young. They don't know how to interact with the community and how to get support from the community. Although they are trained for a year, uh, they don't have a clue on how to engage the community, how to work with the community. So the community health promoters uh, that were trained by the ISHI project and uh, that were uh, promoting message and so on, were their link to the community. So the health extension workers started to work with the community health promoters and the community health promoters facilitated most of the things for the health extension worker to do home visits whenever they do vaccination, they, the, the promoters do the mobilization part, uh, whenever they want to educate the community, the health extension workers will work with the community health promoters and the community health promoters were the ones who went house to house and you know did the health education and so on. Without the promoters, it was very difficult for uh, the health extension workers to settle and to do what uh, they were supposed to do and 
it was a big um, a big undertaking and how ha, has this approach worked this this approach to really try and increase um, people's understanding right that's what yeah. the community health promoters do yeah. how, how has it changed the situation for people's health in Ethiopia uh, that has contributed a lot now um, during that time people the mothers didn't know how to breastfeed you know uh, how long they should breastfeed when uh, they should start complementary feeding uh, what kind of uh, feeding they should prepare and feed their babies when uh, they should take their children for vaccination what kind of uh, care they need to have during pregnancy all this basic information people don't have they used to just practice traditionally without knowing the actual evidence and what uh, should be done and what should not be done so it was i think through the health promoters initiative that um, the key messages were identified and the farm lens card uh, using the farm lens card then uh, the women and caretakers and families were educated and uh, they clearly now started to know uh, what they should do and what they should not do uh, including avoiding some harmful traditional practices for example excreting and disposing uh, the, the first milk uh, before when they start breastfeeding uh, in Ethiopia they call it uh, anger uh, and some some areas they call it uh, anger in English it is colostrum uh, colostrum mm -hmm. so they used to dispose that so uh, we have we have been using the promoters to educate the families not to do that so that has helped a lot for Ethiopia to achieve the MDG, uh, the, child the child survival goal also. It's the contribution of all these undertakings, uh, the work that uh, we did on uh, improving household basic uh, care at the family level, and also the care that the, the work that we did in terms of improving the quality of service provided through the health facilities. That means like uh, providing training for the health workers, providing job aids and tools, uh, and then making sure that supplies are there when they uh, want to provide services. Uh, all of this, I think, uh, paid uh, off, and now we, are, uh, we have achieved significant improvement in uh, addressing child mortality. That's great. Uh, and congratulations for being a That's piece good. of that, a part yeah. of that. So you were working in rural areas for a long time yeah and now you're focusing on urban communities urban heads, yeah <laughs> how has that come about okay three years ago i left jsi and, and i joined uh, harvard school of public health and when i went there one of the things that we uh, did was we pilot tested uh, a, a primary health care model a reformed primary health care model in selected areas in, in Addis Ababa. And the reason why we did that was because Ethiopia is growing and in like by 2025, 20, Ethiopia wants to become a middle-income country. So with the middle-income country, then there are challenges that come with it. Like there will be, uh, urbanization will, will go fast and people will migrate from rural areas to the urban areas. So we felt like we need to have a primary health care model that will respond to all those kinds of changes. So we uh, reviewed a license from uh, Brazil, Cuba, and other middle-income countries. And uh, based on that, that lesson, we came up with uh, <coughs> a reformed uh, new approach uh, of uh, providing primary care. Uh, and uh, when I was there, we are uh, still collaborating with JSI um, as, uh, as our uh, implementing partner. And then uh, I came back to JSI uh, focusing on uh, urban health because having uh, worked in that kind of uh, urban setup and also in designing and implementing a model, transitioning to urban uh, a project that uh, focused on urban health was not that much difficult for me uh, so it has been a year uh, definitely there are complexities in urban areas uh, 
there are challenges. Uh, we don't have the solution yet. In the rural areas, we know what we should do. It's all about uh, how we do it. The challenge is like we are not doing it properly or we are not doing it in a very well organized manner. Uh, and then what uh, we try to do is like, how best can we implement this? Uh, we have the solution, but we just focus on the delivery mechanism. How best can we do it? But in urban areas, we don't have the solution yet. Uh, we're still in the process of uh, understanding uh, the situation, and and then we're still struggling to come up with solutions. So, when you say the situation, are you talking about it's not? You understand the health concerns that people have, but it's yeah. more the the health system and how the health system can help address them. Exactly. exactly. So what, so what yeah. are some of the health concerns that you see in urban areas rather than rural? Because one thinks that in urban area, areas there are more health facilities and yeah. more health yeah. professionals available for people. Yeah, but at the same time, all the services that are being provided in urban areas are not used only by the urban community. There are so many people who come from rural areas to benefit from those services. So they are very much overcrowded. There is a long waiting time. Uh, so it doesn't mean because services are available, physicians are there, it doesn't mean the urban community uh, is privileged to get services from, from those uh, uh, doctors and clinics and so on. So I, I, as you presented it very uh, correctly, uh, the challenge is now, for example, the private sector has a very uh, big stake uh, in urban areas, but we don't have a strong mechanism to engage the private sector in a very meaningful manner so they can provide a desired quality service to the community. They are not properly regulated. They are not properly supported. They are not properly reporting what they do to the government. And because of all these challenges, their cost, the price is not regulated. They can charge whatever they want to charge. Uh, nobody will regulate them. It's, it's left to the market. So our private sector is in this situation now. But still, there are so many different reports uh, that say 40 to 60% of uh, population in urban areas uh, use private sector. Although there are you know, public uh, service uh, facilities. So this is a significant population uh, that goes to the private sector. But our, our private sector is not well organized. It's a challenge. There are so many things that the private uh, providers complain about. And there are so many things that government complains about. But at the middle, it is the community who is suffering from uh, that uh, challenge. So uh, that I think we need to come up with a solution for that. Otherwise, we, without engaging the private sector, there is no urbanite for you. Uh, so that's that's we don't know what we should do, but we need to do something on that. Do people? perceive that the private sector services are better quality because perhaps they're paying more than the public sector services? Um, that is a perception I feel. But uh, like for example, if you go to a public facility, if you want to be seen by a doctor, maybe you might not uh, get that chance uh, because the doctors will be busy and so on. So a nurse or some other mid-level professional might be assigned to uh, examine you. But w whenever you go to the private provider, then if you want to be seen by a doctor, then you can, you can be seen by a doctor. Uh, so that, that's an advantage. So people want uh, better trained professionals. So even if they, want, uh, they need to pay extra for that, then they would rather prefer to pay extra and then uh, uh, to be seen by a better trained professional. The other is a waiting time also. In, in public facilities, there is a long waiting time. So if you go to private, then you pay, and then you might get uh, immediate care. Because of all these reasons, people might want to go to the private facilities. But it doesn't mean all private facilities provide quality care. Right. 
they're, they're functioning in a very difficult situation. Yeah. Are you able to work with the government to recognize these issues? <clears throat> yeah, the government recognized these issues. Uh, about three years ago, I was involved in a study that uh, reviewed private sector engagement in Ethiopia and how to engage the private sector in a public-private partnership uh, manner. Um, it was complex. We came up uh, with so many complex uh, issues and we also provided recommendations. We did that study with the government uh, team and they appreciated the, the challenges. And uh, the solution was not easy and still is not easy because there are things that go to regulatory. Regulatory is, you know, another sector, although they're related to health, it's a kind of an independent sector. Right. There are things that go to the pharmaceutical agency. There are things that come to the ministry, things that go to the regions and so on. So mm, it was not easy to get the support from all these sectors uh, to organize the private sector. And the other challenge is also on the private sector side. There is also there are also challenges from their side. Uh, some of them are not willing to uh, work with the government. Mm -hmm. Some of them have you know their own interest. They feel about it. Last the, the last annual review meeting uh, of the health sector uh, that was uh, uh, organized in October. Uh, government had private sector engagement or public-private partnership as a panel discussion. They invited uh, a president of the private sector association to do a presentation and to do to uh, have a panel discussion. So I see this like there is some sort of opening from the government side to work with the private sector, but still there 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 are there is a lot to be done. In the recent Urban Hills Conference that we uh, organized, we also had um, presenter from the private sector to come and present uh, about that. Uh, he raised lots of challenges. Uh, some of them were not well taken by the government because government is also, they're also having their own issues uh, on the private sector. But there are these kind of, you know, negotiations, discussions, and so on going on, and we'll see where uh, it goes. But you have hope. <laughs> I am hope. Especially, uh, like, we, we may not engage every private sector well, but uh, I think the first thing is to have the framework. Uh, we don't have a, a framework, and we, do, we don't have a legal uh, framework and a legal uh, coverage for things that uh, should be done in a public-private partnership manner. So we're functioning in, in an environment where there is no legal framework. Mm -hmm. So we're going to negotiate with the government to come up with a framework. And then once uh, we set up that framework, those uh, private providers uh, who are willing to collaborate can come uh, uh, under that framework. And then the others gradually uh, will be involved. But we have a hope. I believe you also worked for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation funded project Last yeah. 10 Kilometers. Yeah. And now USAID funded activities. Yeah. What do you see as some of the differences in the donors and how you're able to, or, or projects are able to implement programs based on the different funding streams? Yeah, there are differences. Like, for example, if you take uh, USAID, USAID um, functions in a government-to-government -government uh, kind of partnership. It's like a bilateral government-to-government -government, uh, relationship. So USAID uh, funds uh, programs that, that uh, has you know, benefit to a larger community if like they can provide supplies they can provide trainings modules like uh, based on the national plan uh, uh, as far as you know there is a belief that will help the community they can then deliver all those supports 
So you can see visible major undertakings, uh, big warehouses being built by USAID funding, health centers constructed by USAID funding, um, uh, supplies provided uh, through USAID funding, uh, regulations and so on revised, changed or introduced uh, through this funding mechanism. So it's like a very big uh, <coughs> support that benefits a significant uh, proportion of the community. On the other side, although the Gates funding does that, but it's not uh, that much uh, big. The Gates funding, they usually focus on uh, coming up with a solution. So, like, uh, what is the best delivery mechanism to make sure vaccines reach children? or vaccines reach women. So it's like their, span, their spending and their interest will more focus on uh, identifying the solution or the process or the means um, and less on delivery. Like once you know they identify the solution, then they, their interest is for government to take that at scale or for government to integrate that with their own investment and scale it up. Or, you know, big bilateral donors like USAID or DFID and so on to take that solution to scale is the kind of modality that uh, they implement. So in, so in trying to find a solution, does that mean that you have more opportunity to try different things and potentially fail at some? Whereas USAID, I think there's That's right. less opportunity. That's right. <laughs> like USAID, they want to spend their money on something that is already tested and proved to be uh, working or it will work. Like they spend their resources whenever they know that solution uh, works in terms of saving life. But the gates, as you know, when you try something, you may fail. So they are willing to take that risk. Yeah, they're, they're willing to accommodate all that, uh, but they want you to doc document so the others will not do the same thing. So they will ask you to write what you did, uh, what was your intention and purpose, and what happened, and then that will be documented. So it doesn't mean like you, you've lost the resource. It's like you've used it in a way uh, but it was not successful, then that's it. They're, they're willing to take that kind of risk, yeah. So you talked a little bit about working with the Harvard School of Public Health. Mm -hmm. Was that the first time you'd lived outside of Ethiopia? That's right. <laughs> so what was it like moving to chilly Boston? Yeah. <laughs> and you came with your family, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. how was that? Uh, yeah, Boston is a great city. Uh, we loved Massachusetts a lot. Uh, we came uh, during the year uh, when Boston saw the worst winter in <laughs> how many years? 60, 70 years time. <laughs> so it was not easy to really uh, catch up uh, with all the you know, snowy and uh, cold weather coming from uh, Ethiopia where uh, we enjoy 13 months of sunshine, we say. <laughs> it was not uh, really easy to adapt to the weather. Otherwise, uh, the school and you know the friends that my kids make uh, made here, the support that we get from the community and all of the other um, uh, opportunities, we really enjoyed that. And how was it being back in academia for you? Back to academia, I found it, uh, you know, th th that was the time that uh, I appreciated my decision to stay in program implementation. Uh, because, you know, for me, working in program implementation, I feel uh, I have contributed a lot to make uh, the life of uh, communities better. I definitely believe in that. I, I have done a lot. I don't think I would have uh, contributed that much if I stayed in academia. Uh, because like in academia, there are some politics 
that the academia politics, which I really don't like. <laughs> so, and uh, you'll, your scope will also be very much limited uh, because like working from Ishi, Eltenke, IFHP, when the current urban hills, uh, my, you know, areas uh, are very much wide from child health to system strengthening to HIV and you know and the others so I really, really enjoyed uh, my engagement in a spectrum of uh, areas and I really liked that uh, academia is tough uh, although I like the research and the publishing component but the politics and you know I always uh, Mm, evaluate my like I would say like if I stay here five years what will be my achievement do will I achieve the the goal that I want to achieve if I feel like I'm not then I will not risk losing all that year so it's all about re-strategizing I'm still involved as honorary researcher with, with Harvard so I collaborate on publishing. I also, whenever they ask me, I come and do lectures. Uh, for example, I'm going to give a lecture tomorrow. Um, so those kinds of things, I, I like them and I, I want to continue, but I don't like the politics. So I didn't, I didn't want to give up <laughs> to the politics, but I am still uh, going to continue to be involved on that, yeah. So when you talk about your goals, um, what you'd like to do in the next five years so what are what are your goals what do you what would you like to achieve yeah do you think? <laughs> that's a good question you know in the next five years um, I am more a health systems person uh, whether you know the that it's all about once you uh, are well uh, acquainted with health systems then it's all about applying it to the rural context to the urban context to the poor to the rich to the middle income it's all about customization but the system the health system will stay the same you know the, the pillars and everything the principle uh, everything will, will stay the same it's all about customization and so on so uh, one I like I, I would like to continue to uh, focus on health systems and uh, continue to work within the JSI platform and also utilize that to teach others like by giving lectures and so on. I, I would like to contribute to sh in, in terms of sharing my knowledge. As you know, 13 years uh, is not small. Uh, I have uh, beyond you know what I learned from reading and from the universities, the lesson that I got from the practicing public health is really immense like I I feel like I have um, got lots of lessons and knowledge from my engagement starting from a very low level community to health facility and so on so I want to share that and I would like also to publish uh, and write uh, some papers so others will benefit from what I know um, and um, I, I'm, I'm trying my best, but I would like also to work with the JSI folks in terms of coming up with a, a strong health systems uh, capacity within, within JSI also. Because last year I uh, briefly talked to Joel about it, like health systems is now becoming a big deal. But are we really prepared uh, and then do we have forum for us to share the lesson that we have on health systems and so we can position ourselves better and then he asked me to come up with a concept note on how I want to contribute uh, <coughs> to have a more stronger health systems uh, component within JSI but since I went to uh, this, uh, this the urban health program because mm, there were lots of things that uh, were happening I didn't get the time to develop that, but uh, I would like to come up with that concept note and you know discuss with uh, people, and then uh, hopefully we'll have a more organized center that will uh, really 
be a forum to share our learning on health system strengthening. Do you feel like there has been a transformative moment in your life, something that has made you a light bulb go on, made you think about something in a different way, pursue things differently? Do you feel like there's been one moment mm -hmm. that just opened your eyes and to something new that made you try something new, a transformative moment? Well, that's a really great question. <laughs> Probably I might need to think. <laughs> You're allowed to think. Yeah, you know, I, as I told you, my transformative moment was, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the decision that I made to uh, attend my postgraduate education. Uh, why, you know, why I'm saying that was first I was I liked what I uh, was doing at that health center and I was saving life and I was helping uh, these helpless people uh, I had the energy I had the knowledge uh, I had everything to to uh, work hard and people liked me uh, whenever I go to the rural areas the kind of reception that I get from people is really great you know, so many people come to the health center, you treat them, you manage their illness and so on, but you don't remember them, but they, they will never forget you. So whenever you go to the, their neighborhood, they just can't believe it, like the kind of uh, uh, respect and uh, the kind of things that they give you at that very early age uh, was uh, really uh, great. So I felt like I felt as if I'm uh, going to be selfish when I decided to go for my postgraduate education. Because people wanted me to be there. Uh, so there was I was struggling between, you know, do I need to do it or not? And then finally, the kind of decision that I made was like, let's say now I'm, I'm working in one district and I, might, I may be uh, needed by this one district people but if I learn more then probably I will uh, be involved in, in a role that will benefit hundreds of Oridas or more thousands of uh, people or millions of people so I felt like I tried to convince myself in that way maybe I'll, I'll benefit a larger uh, population and not this uh, district alone and then I convinced myself and then when I I talked to my mom and my dad and my dad didn't like the idea and he said like these people want you to be here because he was getting lots of uh, appreciation and you know so many things from that community yeah. so he felt like I'm doing a very bad thing and my mom I convinced her she was she was convinced no problem but my father was he couldn't be convinced and he said, you, you can't do that. But finally, I needed to make that decision. And then uh, I left for that postgraduate uh, education. But at the beginning, I was still remembering the community because they didn't get a replacement when I left for quite some time. And I also went back to that uh, community during my vacation time and break time to uh, serve as a volunteer. Uh, I worked with them and so on. It was a struggle, but uh, later on uh, there was a, a replacement that went to that uh, area. So that was for me transform transformative, and um, because as soon as I did my postgraduate education, I uh, got different opportunities, multiple opportunities to uh, serve uh, in, in a better uh, position uh, in a way to benefit a larger uh, community. So. What happened was like when I was a child survival specialist uh, hired by Ishii, uh, previously I used to just work in one district. Now I was supporting more than 30 districts. So previously, if I improve quality of care at one health center, I will benefit probably 100,000 population that uh, uses that service. But when I work it with 30 Waredas, then you can multiply that. So the, the benefit to the community was larger. 
and for me also I got more uh, acceptance and more that I think gave me more courage also to continue to to do my PhD. I got the opportunity to come to Hopkins, and you know I I all got all those opportunities because uh, I made the right decision at that point. Yeah. Do you miss the direct service delivery of helping people individually? <laughs> yeah, at the beginning I really missed mm-hmm. that part because I was like. Uh, especially providing care for mothers and children um, and um, a laboring woman uh, who is distressed by the pain and everything that uh, she has helping her to deliver safely and then to see her her baby is like a satisfaction uh, that you really don't forget about so that's a big deal somebody who's uh, shaking favoring serious malaria problem managing that person and then to see that person becoming healthy and so that is something that uh, is a satisfaction Uh, so at the beginning i was i was struggling even do i need to continue more on the clinical uh, part or public health and so on was also a kind of a a dilemma at the beginning but later on i think i really liked the public health part it's it's like um, Primarily, we need to make uh, the maximum effort so people will not be sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond, like I know, once they're sick, you need to treat them, you need to help them. But uh, what's best is to make sure Prevent that they're not. Yeah. So. <laughs> Last question. Mm-hmm. What would you say you are most proud of in your life? I think uh, beyond the the kind of the the professional development that I, I came up, I'm really proud of uh, my families, my parents, my sisters and brothers, my wife and my kids. I'm really, I, I feel like I'm a really privileged person. Uh, I'm really in the middle of this joyful, uh, you know them, you've seen them, my parents. So, uh, yeah, so I'm in the middle of this very joyful uh, situation like uh, my parents are my supporters uh, they I think they uh, passed through a very difficult and hard life so uh, we will be in a better position now so all, all of that uh, all of the support that we got uh, from our parents was really great how many how many siblings brothers and sisters do you have five and yeah. are they all professionals? All professionals, nice. all very successful. That says something uh, about your parents. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And in your work, is there one thing yeah. you can point to that you are particularly yeah. proud of? Like I, I, as I told you, health systems, particularly focused on child health is my area. and. The role that I played actually, personally, in terms of uh, improving uh, child health in Ethiopia uh, really makes me proud. Uh, we, we worked hard uh, to bring about change at uh, household level, to improve the quality of care at uh, health facilities. Uh, I used to really clean up health centers whenever I see them dirty and so on. I don't leave uh, seeing that, so I will try to mobilize uh, health workers, and we try to clean and you know wash the rooms and so on. Um, all of that, I think. The, so the, the work that I did on on child survival, and to see that reducing child mortality, because 13 years ago when uh, I go to a village and if I ask them, is there a child that died like? three months ago, six months ago, they'll tell you, yeah, somebody's child, somebody's child, and so on. Now, if you go and ask them, like, they'll tell you, no, the last five years, we don't remember. The last three years, we don't remember. So child mortality has become like a red event almost in, in most parts of the country. So uh, we were there, I think, during the right time. Uh, there are you know others that I can mention by name who really worked uh, hard with us. You know, issue was that the program that galvanized child survival in Ethiopia. 
like Dr. Haile Mariam used to be uh, the South child survival person, now who's uh, with uh, UNICEF. He really worked hard, um, uh, and I think that's that's really yeah. That makes me proud. I think we did a great job on on child deaths. It sounds like made a significant difference. Very much, Ethiopia. very much, yeah. You know, having a child yourself, you know, we, we all have children, and uh, you can you can see what it means to lose you know, a loved child. It's like, it's really painful. And when you know that uh, happened because of preventable cause, then it will make it more painful. So why do children suffer and why, why do they die while we have the solutions? Because you know we didn't deliver the solution uh, timely and at the right point, then we're losing them. So we did, have, you know, that's really marvelous. Particularly later on, we also <coughs> introduced this community-based treatment for sick children through the health extension uh, workers also. And that may increased access to child care almost to every door. Like in every village, there is free treatment through the health extension professional. Uh, so that was unthinkable even. Like we were struggling to support health centers. But later on, we also expanded that to the health post level. So we came up with the guidelines, training manuals, we provided the trainings, uh, scale up of the supplies and so on. But now in every village, there is treatment for diarrhea, pneumonia and so on. So that's a big uh, success, yeah. Ibrat, congratulations. Thank Something you. to be proud of, definitely. Yeah. definitely. Thank you for listening to Voices of Public Health the JSI podcast.